That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Jake, it's the third Sunday of Advent. Does that make you think of a certain song? It sure does. A very famous Sunday school song. And it goes like this. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice! Why would we say rejoice? What day is it besides just pink vestment day? It's Advent 3, which is typically seen as a little bit lighter. And because Advent is this, in some churches, has this penitential air to it. Kind of a sober time of watching and waiting before we just you know, go crazy at Christmas. So, but you know, you don't want every day to be difficult. So Advent 3 was like a little bit like, it's a cheat day. And so because this (laughs) Philippians reading, Rejoice in the Lord Always, it was typical that one of the canticles, one of the responses, one of the songs in this service would have the Latin word for rejoice. Like when I command you, rejoice. And it's Gaudete. So it's Mm. called Gaudete Sunday. It's the Sunday of the pink candle. If you do that, if you're St. Albans Waco, it's blue candles all through Lent. Really? God. I mean, all through Advent. Yeah, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. Do you guys you know, that's, do uh, that's purple or blue? a recent Romish innovation. What? Do you do purple or blue? Your vestments and whatnot. Blue, man. What's Serum that? Serum blue all the way. I've tweeted about this. I'm sorry that you've missed it. But <laughs> I don't, I'm not on Serum Twitter. blue all the way. It's good. We have a blue. Serum blue set, but somebody bought a purple one. And alas, we have to use it. So, but yeah. no, it's good. Serum blue. So blue is the prettiest color. And for our listeners, why is it blue? I bet we have listeners who are new to Anglicanism. Yeah. You know, you grew up non-denom or Pentecostal or whatever, and now you're at an ACNA church, or maybe you discovered the Lutheran <laughs> church and they decided to ordain you, or whatever the thing is. And you think to be cool and do Advent is to have three purple candles and a pink one. Well, listeners, sit down. You're not going to be expecting this. So, in the Episcopal Church, in the Anglican tradition, it was more common for a long, long time to do blue. And it's called Sarum Blue because it's from Salisbury, or mm-hmm. Salisbury Cathedral, and the old Latin name for the city. Uh, the adjectival form is Sarum. So, the Sarum Rite, the way they used to do Holy Communion at Salisbury Cathedral, was the one that was hugely influential in the formation of the liturgical rite in the Book of Common Prayer for Holy Eucharist. And the color, Sarum Blue, which is what they used in their liturgies, uh, has become to be sort of a classically Episcopalian, Anglican color. And so in Episcal churches, the color for the four Sundays of Advent is this serum blue for vestments and all that sort of stuff. No, and the candles as well. So that and $7 will get you a coffee at Starbucks. Mm. But now you know. So that blue is an acceptable option for candles and vestments in Lent. It's and it's wonderful. actually a really beautiful color. It's way better than purple, yeah, in my opinion. It's, and it's a reflective of kind of what the light looks like at the early dawn. And so, exactly. Mm-hmm. And the blue, because it's royal, it's kind of a royal blue, mm-hmm. so the coming king, and blue is the color associated with the Virgin Mary, and this is the time when she's 
expectant, all those things. Mm. Whereas purple is too, it's too, it's too connected to the passion for me. Yeah. And it's too connected to kind of that purely penitential season of Lent. Whereas Advent is not just penitence and hardcore like Lent is. It's kind of, it's this hopeful expectation. It's, uh, it's, okay, moving <laughs> let's, on. Let's get into now to the. Let's get to our readings. Now to the, okay, so, so today we're Advent reading three. Zephaniah three verses fourteen through twenty. Then we have Philippians chapter four verses four through seven, and then Luke chapter three verses seven through eighteen, which is not a very rejoiceful passage, but nonetheless. So here we are, Zephaniah. Zephaniah is an interesting, um, an interesting book of the prophets. It's uh, three chapters. Um, the first two are all about uh, the coming judgment and then the eventual judgment of Judah, and then um, chapter three is all about basically the redemption. This. This is, I mean, more so than I think a lot of the prophets, this is clearly a death and resurrection book. Yeah, for sure. Uh, this ch- this chapter and this segment actually has one of those verses that for me was a memory verse. Mm. Uh, Zephaniah 3.17, where it says, He will take great delight in you. He will rejoice over you with singing, which in, in our translation says, He will exult over you with loud singing. Uh, but we also have the rejoice over you with gladness, renew, renew you in his love. It's a very touching portrait of God and his love for you, the believer. You, our listener, you people in the mm-hmm. congregation. And it's so um, wonderfully at odds with how we often think of God, which is somebody who's there to catch us making mistakes and to um, smack our wrist and uh, discipline us. So it's a beautiful picture. Removement of judgment, removement of fear, removing of uh, enemies, disaster, all those things. Yeah. And so I think we can emotionally get in touch with this passage maybe more than pre-pandemic years just because we know what it's like to be uh, struggling, to have enemies, to to experience disaster, to experience kind of the overturning of everything we've ever known. So yeah. I think this this Advent, you know, the coming of Jesus is definitely existential and personal for us, uh, but it's also something that changes the whole entire world. And the things that are spoken of in this passage, healing and peace and all those things, uh, they have come about in the world not only kind of personally and maybe metaphorically or spiritually, but in a real way, what Christianity has done in all kinds of ways, inventing hospitals and caring for poor people and saying children and women are valuable and should not be treated as objects. So uh, anyways, th- there's this passage works on a lot of levels. I think if you want to talk about how God in this passage is seen as one who saves the lame, a.k.a. Jacob Smith, gathers the <laughs> outcast uh, under 3,000. I'm looking at you. No, um, I think... This is um, a beautiful picture of God who brings you home, who gathers you. Um, it's it's intimate, it's touching, it's um, balm for people who need to know that they're loved. And so that's the, that's what I would talk about here. Yeah. Anything, Jake, you would add to Zephaniah 3? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, well, like I said, going back to this concept of like uh, death and resurrection, or uh, as the very first uh, Mockingbird uh, production was ever entitled, Judgment and Love. This is what it is. And, you know, and uh, the two uh, go hand in hand. I mean, God is a just God, and uh, he does um, have a judgment, but um, that is not the final word. The final word is redemption, restoration, and um, and uh, yeah, redemption and restoration. And so, you know, the opening 
part in the scene of Zephaniah is one, and in Zephaniah you get the scope of history, the history of Israel, and its judgment, and then its ultimate consummation and redemption. And, you know, and I think sometimes, especially this time of year, speaking of the existential area, I just saw this funny meme, and it was like, I just looked at my bank account, and this year everybody's getting a text message for Christmas. And, you know, I think <laughs> I think that... Um, <laughs> this is the point. I mean, we're we're a week out from Christmas, and like, I mean, I don't know. Have you seen the price of meat? I, I don't know what's going on on Waco, but like, it is like prices. Grocery prices are starting to go through the roof here. And no, uh, I, yeah, it's the meat is yeah beef, and this is. Uh, I mean, we live in Texas. We have more cattle than people, even though we have like more like we're we're second only to California in population. But yeah, and uh, but brisket I, is going up. I think that you know, but I mean, I think when all of this, you know, I mean, just, I mean, I look at the prices of some of these things coming up, uh, you know, and uh, you know, and you're just like, golly, what is going on? And I think people at this time of year, because the world is already in the Christmas competition, can feel a sense of real judgment. You know what I mean? Is your is my Christmas party going to be as good as it was last year? Is it going to compare to the neighbors? And all of this. And all of sometimes these judgments that we may sense they're BS, and then other judgments are real. Um, and uh, the judgments in the first two chapters and the opening parts of chapter three is real. But what we need to remember is is that uh, judgment is not the final word with our Lord and Savior Jesus. Uh, rather, instead, redemption is, and it ends with this: "For I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth." When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. And this is the good news and the hope is that what you see right now is not the final, final say. Um, Rather, there is coming a time and there is coming a place uh, when everything that has been taken away, all of the judgment uh, that you felt like was real loss will be restored before your very eyes. And there you'll see the Lord of hosts, the King of glory, uh, uh, and not as a stranger, but as a friend. And so, I mean, I think that this is really the important word to preach here, is that judgment and your feelings of judgment do not have the final say. Amen. And those places where you feel judged and where you feel like you failed, those are the places where God works, which is what it means in verse 19, where I will I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. And this is like one of the things they say, not in the 12 steps, but in the 12 traditions. Um where you, I think it's in the 12 traditions. Anyways, it's in the 12-step movement, but this idea where you neither regret the past nor seek to run mm. from it, uh, but realize it is, it's part of your story and it's part of where God worked in your life. So, um, and that's what's happening here. The other thing that's, that is, I think, clear to me is this is a passage where the individual person has very little agency, meaning you can't fix yourself. Uh, mm. And what this passage says is that God is the one who is in the midst he gives victory. He's the one who renews. He's the one that removes disaster. He's the one that deals with oppressors. He's the one that brings you home. He's the one that gathers you, uh, as opposed to what the world would say, which is uh, in the new. Because again, New Year's Day is coming up. Uh, we're already in the liturgical New Year, Church New Year, but secular New Year is coming up, and people will feel this temptation to get better on their own through their own resolutions and whatever. <sighs> But this, God is the one who does it, which is the great gift of Christianity. We can say to people, you are not going to be able to get this done on your own. Mm-hmm. And it's, un- it's not actually, counterintuitively, it's not until you give up control, give up the reins, 
and give them to the Lord, Jesus, take the wheel, that's when change begins to happen, but not when it's your project. The Bible is not a self-help book full of positive affirmations. It's a book that says, you can't do it, but I know someone who can. Yeah, and that's what then makes sense of Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, and why Paul would write something from a jail cell. You know, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. And that's key because that's not only simply eschatological, you know, that is also existential. And uh, the promise and the hope of the gospel is that in the midst of your worrying, in the midst of all of your anxiety, in the midst of all of your fear, guilt, and shame, uh, the Lord is actually near. And this becomes like basically the difference between uh, joy and happiness. You know, as happiness is um, subjective and uh, happiness is conditional upon kind of the circumstances. But joy in the Christian sense, well, that is, um, that is objective, and it is based mm. on the word outside of you that God is totally for you. The Lord is near, you know, and, um, and it is that promise that creates the faith in our hearts to actually, uh, for at least about seven seconds a day in my life, to not worry, you know, uh, to mm. not worry. I mean, I find so often that, you know, we see these people, do not worry about anything. So don't worry about anything, Aaron. You know what I mean? Too blessed to be stressed. Yeah. Nonsense. You know what I mean? And <laughs> what we're doing is, is we're like trying to scrub our hearts and trying to pacify our anxious hearts with a word that was never intended for, to do that, with the law. You know what I mean? And so what we need is the gospel. And the gospel is, is the Lord is nearer to you than you could possibly imagine. And uh, and uh, he has given you promises that he will never leave you or forsake you. And really that creates within us uh, a peace, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that this peace of God, which passes all understanding, is not this feeling of Zen tranquility, like in Napoleon Dynamite, where uh, Deborah, is it, tells yeah. Uncle Rico to just picture himself in a sea surrounded by a thousand floating seahorses, and he gets all in a trance-like state. That's not the piece that passes all understanding. It's if close. you want to get that, there's some psychedelics you could take, there's uh, some mindfulness you could do, and that, it's great to feel peaceful, but that is not going to save you. Yes. And I think it's important to note that this peace that passes all understanding is what Jesus had, but he is also the one that felt moved and deeply troubled in his spirit when Lazarus died uh, to the point of tears. He's the one that was in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane and cried from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So the peace that passes all understanding is not feeling good all the time. Uh, it is not what some people make it to be some sort of spiritual form of denialism mm. where you just, again, that too blessed to be stressed kind of attitude, um, which is on the t-shirt of Anthony Ramos at the opening scene of Lin-Manuel Miranda's movie adaptation of In the Heights. Uh, yet his store is like struggling financially. He can't get the girl he wants and his block is changing. And he's and so it's like total denial, too blessed to be stressed. Uh, and so... Yeah, peace of pastoral understanding means that you can do this Christian paradoxical thing, which is say, I know Christmas is coming, I know I have a Savior, I know Jesus, oh, what a wonderful child, and say, I'm also really stressed, and I'm worried, and so it's, it's, it's sort of like that thing in Thessalonians where it says, we grieve, but not as those who don't have hope. Yeah. Like, uh, it's like, I believe, help my unbelief. It's this paradoxical thing. Every time you worry, 
you are then offered an opportunity to hand that over to the Lord. And like you say, you're probably going to have to do it about every seven seconds, but you can do both at the same time. Yeah. So I think it's important to remember Jesus's peace, which was, uh, it was peace, but he also had, you know, he went through his agony. He, yeah. he wept for people. Well, and and so you can do both at the same time. You know, I think a perfect illustration of that is the wonderful show, Ted Lasso season two, which First, you know, I had a hard time getting into it, but the second time around, I'm realizing what a gift it is. And, uh, you know, and uh, Ted Lasso, who appears to be this, like, just wonderful, charming guy who never seems to be bothered by anything and has a positive response to absolutely every situation. Uh, you find out behind the scenes in season two is that there are real cracks. You know what I mean? And so, um, and which I think is powerful that, uh, that the show is articulating this distinction between subjective rejoicing. Hey, hey, everything's positive, mm -hmm. but it's not. Mm -hmm. My life is actually a real nightmare filled with broken dreams. And, um, and uh, this objective uh, ability to rejoice that despite the broken dreams, despite the judgment, despite the feeling of lack, um, the Lord is always near. Amen. Well, and we're near the end of this podcast because it's time to move on to the next uh, passage here, oh, which is Luke. And by the way, this is a long one, it, um, longer. If you if you uh, nothing, haven't noticed, nothing says Advent, rejoice like being called a brood of vipers. <laughs> yeah, you bunch of snakes, you dirty rats. So uh, we're in the new liturgical year in this three year cycle of the Revised Common Lectionary. Uh -huh. uh, we're gonna you're. You're in one gospel most heavily in each year, A, B, and C. So in year B, which we just finished, was primarily Mark. Now we're going to be in Luke for year C. So just word to the wise, if you want to do a sermon series in the new year, you can do something in the gospel of Luke, because that's what we're going to be reading through through this uh, through this year. But yeah, so here we get uh, this thing that also surprises people who are come, who've decided to come back to church for Christmas, maybe New Year's, <laughs> and like, what a good time. So this is the one right before uh, kind of the, the Christmas services last Sunday before all that. And it's a bunch of snakes and the wrath is coming and what should we do? And the fork is in his hand and he's going to clear the threshing floor and burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. Merry Christmas. So... Jake, when you preach on this passage, what do you say to the snakes in your pews? Oh, that's amazing. Well, I think it's important to note in this opening paragraph, you know, uh, is that um, where he calls them brood of vipers and uh, we have Abraham as our ancestor. You know, uh, what they were into was pedigree. You know, what they were into was a lineage. Um, you know, we are children of Abraham, therefore we've got it made. Um, uh, failing to realize that um, uh, it's never been about that. Um, it was Abraham believed and that was credited to him as righteous. And uh, so all of these people thought that they were basically justified uh, by, um, uh, you know, um, uh, by they thought that they were justified because of what they did. And so um, that's the opening thing. And, and you know, we have, we have that problem too. We think we're justified in this country because we're Americans or, you know, I'm a cradle Episcopalian. We find all sorts of identity markers to, um, to uh, declare our justification. And, uh, and uh, John is basically calling the crowd out and saying, uh, none of that actually matters. As a matter of fact, the, the acts is lying at the root of that tree, is being laid to the root of that tree. 
And, uh, you know, your identity uh, will not ultimately save you. And so this mm-hmm. is what the crowds then ask in the next part. They say, what then should we do? What, how can we be justified? And uh, John, being the last of the Old Testament prophets, he gives them the law. Uh, you know, well, do these things. I mean, this is what the sanctified life actually looks like, everybody. You know, people, what does sanctification look like? You guys are so against, no, 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 we, we're for it, and this is what it looks like. Uh, generosity, uh, care for your neighbor. Um, but here becomes the ultimate problem, uh, that we need one, another one to come besides simply John the Baptist, who uh, comes yeah. with judgment, and, uh, but the judgment and fire uh, falls upon himself. That's right. And I think what's amazing to be about this p- passage is that they ask, like, he's called them all sinners. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what we talked about last week. Um, you know, this one who is coming and he's going to, you know, repentance is called for and all that. And so John is here announcing this, and people are like, oh my gosh, like, oh, we have to be good? Uh-huh. Oh, that's a surprise. Oh, what what do we have to do to be good? And he's just like, you yeah, ninny muggins, just, uh, don't commit extortion, and if somebody's cold, give them a jacket. There is nothing earth-shaking or surprising. Don't extort money by lying. Uh, like, this is not some new ethical teaching that John has just come up with. Mm-hmm. Like, all these people, the majority of whom are Jewish people, they know, do not defraud your neighbor. They know the Ten Commandments. They know all this stuff. Uh that's, and so that's powerful because even is, soldiers are in that mix. So this is yes. the, the law is the same for Jew and Gentile. And and so he gives them no earth shaking news. It's uh, you know sometimes people want to know like what do I have to do to be a good person? It's like it's pretty <laughs> pretty clear. Like just don't be a jerk. So um, the problem is that this passage gets at immediately because John underlines it is that. That's not going to be enough. In, indeed, the entire witness of the scriptures from Genesis to this, Genesis 3 to this, and even, you know, the one thing Adam and Eve were told not to do, they immediately did. So, um, the the problem with being human is that we can't fix ourselves. And so, even John says, look, I'm telling you nothing new. You know all this stuff. And <laughs> me telling it to you, and even you wanting to do better, is not going to solve the problem. So, what you need Amen. is someone who can who can baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That is to give give His Holy Spirit in, in to to write His laws on your hearts, essentially to to put in you a new heart because um, the old one isn't working. So, please do not make this passage, preachers, about how your congregation they need to follow John's advice and just be nicer people, because even John says that's not enough. Um, yes, people should be nicer, and it's fine to tell your congregation to do that. But as long as you also tell them that they will fail, and that's why Jesus is coming, yeah. is to um, step into that place of failure and save us and redeem us. Mm. And that's uh, that's the good news to the people. Amen. Well, I think Gosh. that'll wrap us up for the third Sunday I, of Advent, Gaudete slash it's... Rose slash Pink Sunday. Nope, Can nope. I just say, okay. too, that well, uh, I just really quick, that it is His work. And his work alone that makes all of us chaff, destined for the fire. Um, Beautiful, beautiful wheat um, that is gathered up and placed into the granary. And so, and I love this, with many exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. So he's not only delivering law, but remember also John the Baptist's other word, and that is, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
And so, um, and uh, that is what we want to behold on this third Sunday of Advent, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, because it's that work for you uh, that makes us able, in the midst of whatever we face, to truly rejoice. Amen. Happy Advent 3. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside ready to rock and roll.